Welcome back to the Teacher Renewed Podcast. Last week, you met Dr. Aletha Harpin, where she shared her journey in education and what she has studied for the last decade in support of improving education. This week, we dive more deeply into her research and how it is supporting the transformation of the American education system. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, definitely take a few minutes and get to know Dr. Harbin. Happy listening. Dr. Harbin, thank you so much for sharing so much of just who you are and how you've come to be. And there's so much to dissect there. And let's get into the tangibles where I do want to explore is that piece of sometimes not always, but sometimes it is the teacher who has to assume that role for students. What advice do you have for teachers who have to assume that role for students who don't have a mom and dad like you Mm -hmm. and are feeling overwhelmed by that? I know part of my burnout, and very fortunately, This student had a mom who advocated for her tremendously, but did not have the resources, but wanted her to go to the school that I was teaching at. She and I worked out an agreement, but I'm like, look, like I'm going to be getting her at between six and six 30. She needs to be ready. Cause I like to be at school at six 30. I am willing to do that. And it got to the point that it was exhausting me because I'm dry, Like I'm having to leave my house at five 30 to pick her up by six to get to the school, you know, because like it was out of a, a bus range. Her mom's not wanting her to, you know, send her on the city bus at 6am, 7am. And so I did that and I did it every morning for a year. And by the end of that year, I was like, and it wasn't because of this one circumstance. It was that circumstance on top of everything else. But I cared so much about this student coming to this school because her mom cared so much about it. That's one example. What advice do you have for teachers who are the like your moms of the world, Mrs. Harvins, I'm guessing, who are pouring their paychecks into their students because that might be she might, and I'm guessing she has stories of being the one person who inspired the trajectory of students like without burning out, you know, so the, the balance of we want to give our all to, because we might be the only right. to a student. And yet we want those people to stay in that classroom. What advice do you have? I love this question. This is such a good question. I know I'll first talk about my mom first and then get to some advice. I know for my mom, like, honestly, she really just loves children. (laughs) She's like, she really just loves children. And I love that about her. And so my mom always led with her passion, her love for her students. And so she saw her students in, in a way like her own children. So even though she had her own children like me and my sibling, my mom saw the students in her classroom in a similar way. So she always showed up with love, you know, in her heart and care. And it seemed to come very easy to my mom, you know, to really provide that extra level of support to her students. And, and so to your question, like, how do you avoid the burnout? I think, I think maybe, maybe one thing to do is to think about your why, right? I think 
I think step one, I think as teachers, as educators, we have to step back and think about our why. Like, why am I even in this classroom? Like, why am I here? <laughs> why did I go in? Why did I, why did I go into the teaching profession? <laughs> you know, even with all the red tape, like, why am I here? <laughs> What's going on? And I think if we can get back to that initial why and, and see how that aligns with our values, then we can start moving forward in a way where we're honoring our why and honoring what, how we actually want to conduct ourselves in the classroom. So I know that teachers have a lot of pressure on them. You know, there's pressure related to testing. There's, there's just all sorts of pressure, lots of, lots of professional developments, lots, there's a lot going on from parents, right? Caregivers, I should say. And so, and then of course, with the classroom full of students who are highly, they could be very diverse, you know, even in their understanding of information or how they're engaging in their work. There, there's a lot that teachers have to focus on. And I sometimes think that, you know, outsiders, people outside of education don't always know all the cognitive energy, all the mental, you know, energy that we as educators have to put into our jobs. But I think at least as a first step, right? Teachers just getting in touch with their why, really sitting down, asking yourselves, like, why did I get into this to begin with? And then how can I make sure all of my actions moving forward are in alignment with that why? Because if I am saying yes to everything, for instance, right? Every time I'm getting asked to do something, yes, 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 yes that's outside of what my actual values are for why I'm here in my classroom, then, then yes, I'm going to get burned out because I'm doing a million and one things. So I think, and this is something that I like to work with teachers on, you know, because yes, there are some yeses you're, you're probably just going to have to give <laughs> as part of the job. But if we can kind of like, if we can stick more closely to why we're doing what we're doing. Like for instance, if you're being asked to be on a lot of different committees, right? And you know, everyone wants to do great work and be there for their students and be committed. But if being on all these committees are exhausting you, can you start to say no, or you're not able to, right? So that you can, again, stay in alignment with your values, stay in alignment with what's going to make you feel your best when you're there, right? So of course there's like, like I even know, even at even me teaching at the college level, I'm asked to do a million and one things. But I would say over the last couple of years, I've been, or a few years, I've been very, very intentional about sticking to my, my why, like, why am I here? What am I here to do? Because it's very easy for me to get burned out too. I've been there before where, I mean, I haven't felt burned out, but I felt stretched in a million and one <laughs> directions. And so I feel like I'm more, I'm walking more in my alignment. I feel more aligned. I feel like my actions, right? My behavior, my yeses, my nos, I feel like that is more aligned with my values, my purpose for being on my campus. And I actually feel less less stressed out. So another, something else I want to think about. So I guess in thinking of step two, right? Like how do you even go about doing that? Well, I think this comes down to healthy boundaries, right? Setting up healthy boundaries. And that goes back to even the example about like committee work, right? If you're being asked to be on like five different committees, well, maybe just be on one, 
<laughs> maybe don't don't be on all five or if you're asked to constantly stay late for various reasons I understand if like you know you're being asked to stay late perhaps because of something that's student related but maybe put put a maybe have some sort of time limit with that, you know? So by this time I have to leave campus, you know, because I need to go home, right? You need to go to your safe haven. You need to relax and, and maybe even be with your own family if you have, you know, children or partner. So I think starting to really set up healthy boundaries around time, around commitments, around our activities. And I feel like we can still show up for our students and show up in a very loving and caring way. But I feel we have to have healthy boundaries as well, because that's gonna help us to feel, I think, more in control of what's going on. And, and it's gonna help us to continue to walk in our purpose while we're on our campuses. Mm. Yeah, I love how tangible that is. And it's interesting because that just actually put out an episode where the first thing I talk about is the best teachers know how to prioritize. They know what is most important and then can set up their organization around those values, those priorities. Something that you mentioned multiple times and that I know you've done extensive research and study on is motivation. And how it is, there's psychological aspects to that. I I don't remember the exact phrase, but one thing you said, like academic motivation. I'd love to hear your thoughts on achievement motivation. So as teachers are thinking about the developmental needs of students, like we can generalize because most brains in the most basic level are maturing. Mm -hmm some way, shape, or form in the same capacity, but then you add in the environmental factors of a life and the traumatic experiences that students are enduring and their brains are shifting. And yet we want all of our students to be motivated. And so talk to us about what you've learned around achievement motivation and maybe some takeaways that teachers can be thinking about as it relates to their classroom environment and the different, the diverse needs of their students, given the diverse experiences they've had. I love talking about motivation (laughs) and I love talking about achievement motivation. It's one of my favorite subjects to study, to explore and talk about. I could, I could go on and on. So when it comes to achievement motivation, right, kind of piggybacking on what you said, yes, motivation is a psychological construct. And so, you know, what does that really mean, right? Where I'm teaching on it and I'm talking to my students about it, you know, I always tell them, I try to empower them by telling them you have choices to make, you know? So for instance, when it comes to motivation, goals are at the crux of all motivation. If we, going back to what I was saying earlier, if we can get in alignment, right, with our purpose, our why, and develop goals associated with that, those goals then drive our behavior, those goals drive our motivation, so the effort, the cognitive and emotional energy that we are putting toward achieving those goals, right, that is, that's kind of what we want to focus on, and so 
when it comes to achievement motivation, there's so many different aspects of motivation. I'm thinking of different aspects of motivation. There's intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation. We definitely want our students to be intrinsically motivated. That's where they're showing up to the the classroom wanting to learn because they just purely want to learn, right? They're there because they love what it is that they are, are, are learning about. And then of course there's extrinsic motivation with prizes, with rewards, grades would be considered an extrinsic motivator. So you may have a student who comes into the classroom and they're really, they're definitely goal oriented, but they are focused on prizes, like the, like whatever the prize is, even if it's just recognition, they want their ego boosted or whatever it is, right? Those are our students who are extrinsically motivated. But what we want to do is we want to help those students to become more intrinsically motivated when they're, where they are in the classroom because they really just want to learn. <laughs> and so there are ways to do that. One of the, the main ways is for educators to focus on students' interests. The more you can tap into what students are interested in and you can incorporate that into your lesson plans, into the work that you're doing, then, and there's many ways to do that. And that's something that I like to work with educators on. But the more you can tap into students' interests and bring that to bear on classroom discussions and activities, students can become intrinsically motivated, right? We can move them from wanting to just focus on the grade or, or focus on a pizza party at the end of the week or whatever, we can <laughs> actually get them to want to engage in activities because they like the topic. This is a cool topic. Or I like this activity. I like it to use my phone to, you want me to look something up on TikTok? I like TikTok. You know, if you can just focus on their interest, kind of bring that into the classroom, leave that into what you're doing, it can actually lead to more intrinsic motivation because that's really the space we want students operating. And also another aspect of motivation that I really like is, is has to do with attribution, how students make sense of their success or any success that they have and how they make sense of their failures. And so this is something I really like to deep dive into with educators because we can actually help students develop the language, develop the, the thinking surrounding their success and their failures. So we can play a really big role in their self-talk and in what they're saying to themselves, which can be motivating or, 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 or not motivating at all. So for instance, let's say you have a student who is, is really successful in your classroom and they're doing really great. And, and you know, like, well, what kind of messages do you give that student, right? Do you just say, wow, you're naturally smart. Wow, you're naturally gifted. Or do you say, wow, you've put a lot of effort into this. You know, I know that you have been really persistent and you've, you've really been studying hard. And so what scholarship shows is that if we can help students start developing, or if we can assist students by you know, developing messages for them that are more effort related, that's actually really helpful because let's say that same student experiences some level of failure. Well, if that student has been, if that student believes effort is, is involved in his success, then he's, when he fails, he's going to say, you know what, 
I just need to put more effort into this. Maybe I didn't put enough effort into, you know, this activity and that's why I failed. So there's not anything wrong necessarily with, you know, hyping students up and, you know, and telling them they're, you know, great and wonderful. Like, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because I know we're trying to build student self-esteem. It's just, you want to also really, really focus on effort, their effort. So if you see students really working hard, whether they perform well or not, give them positive messages about their effort. Or if you're going to critique them in any way, focus on their effort. Maybe you can help them to be more persistent. Maybe you can help them to put in more effort. What do they need? Do they need help with taking more effective notes? Do they need to read more? Do you have some additional readings for them? You know, do you have additional worksheets for them to help them out? So help them to become more effortful, right? And if we can do that, and we can even, I would say even have large class discussions about success and failure, right? But make sure whatever you're saying to students, you're really, really focusing on their effort, on the extent to which they're being persistent, on the tasks that they're even, even choosing to, to put their energy into because tasks make a difference. So there's, there's, just a, there's just a lot that we can do, honestly, as educators to help students out. And I guess an overall message is for us to have high expectations for all of our students, no matter what, no matter who our students are, what you've heard about them, what another teacher, educator is telling you about them, right? When they walk into your classroom, just focus on who they are in your classroom. And I know that's, yes, you want to focus on what's happening in general with the student, of course. But what I'm trying to say is when the student is in your classroom, try to look at them as an individual and say, okay, who, who is this person? <laughs> Who's this young person? What are they about? Let me get to know the student. Let me keep my expectations high because if I lower my expectations, and I think sometimes what we'll see is there will be educators who lower their expectations because of preconceived ideas. So for instance, if there's a black student that walks into the classroom, sometimes, I'm not saying this happens all the time, but depending on what school I might be in, where I'm working with educators, I will see the expectations totally just go down because it's like, oh, the student's probably from an impoverished household and neighborhood. And it's like, do you know that for sure? And because I'm going to be honest with you, people have assumed that about me and my background. And, and that's not true of me and my background. So I, so it's like, why, why is this assumption being made about me? Well, probably because I'm black. And then when people start to get to know me and they learn about my background, they're like, oh, okay. So you don't have this type of background. <laughs> it is like, no, I don't. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with anyone who does have, who does come from a background that is impoverished or maybe, you know, they, they come from a challenging home or, or, or environment, there's nothing wrong with that person either. So we have to really just have high expectations for all of our students, regardless of race, regardless of gender, sexual orientation, whatever it is you're hearing, we just need to have high expectations for our students when we're in, when they're in our classrooms. But also, if we are that teacher, that educator who believes in them, that can actually help them outside of our classroom, right? Because 
a lot of times it just takes that one person. It just takes that one teacher that, you know, being a mentor so that the student then even changes, excuse me, their behavior in other classrooms and in other contexts. So it's really important for us to see each student as a complete individual and to focus on what that student's needs are, to have high expectations for that student, regardless of what you might believe, just have the high expectations. Because if you lower your expectations, especially because you think you are going to be helping a student, particularly one who might already be disadvantaged or challenged, you're actually making things worse to have low expectations. You're making things worse. It's like, okay, the student is already really challenged. And so you're not going to push them. You're not going to, you know, you know, push push them to do their best or to be their best because you want to, you know, feel sorry for them or whatever. That's literally the worst thing you can do. The students who are the most challenged have empathy for them, of course, but have real conversations with them and say, hey, I want you to, you know, like, what do you want to do in life? Okay, great. I want to help you. How can I support you? This is how I want to support you. Well, you're going to perform well in my class. I want you to perform well in my class. I believe in you. I know you can do this. Like it doesn't take much to do that and to really believe in each and every one of your students. So please do not lower your expectation. There's so much literature on low expectations. Please do not do that. You are doing a disservice to students when you do that. You are not helping. You aren't taking an extra burden off their shoulders. No, you are making things worse have high expectations for them so that they can rise to the challenge. And they, so they know they do have someone who believes in them. When you have high expectations, students feel that you believe in them and then they are going to rise to the challenge. If they feel those low expectations from you, that can actually work. It doesn't work in their favor and it's not gonna work in your favor. And then they're just gonna fulfill a self-fulfilling prophecy that you had about them when they walked into the classroom. So keep your expectations high. Believe in all your students because they need it, especially our most challenged students. They need positive feedback from you. They need to hear from you. They want to feel that you care about them. And I think that's super important too, is to, again, when we talk about getting in alignment with your values, why, why you're even here in the classroom, right? Most of us, we really do care about the students that we have. So actually tell them that. Tell them you care about them. Be vulnerable. Say, I care about you. I want you to do great. You know, how can I help you? Like get vulnerable with your students because that also builds rapport. It makes students feel, or I should say when students feel that you care, it can actually help increase their sense of belonging. This is all part of inclusive education, you know, inclusive teaching, connecting with our students in ways that work for them. So yeah, get in touch with your why and then actually walk the walk. You say you care about students, tell them you care, actually care. This is, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, yes. No, I was just gonna say, this is such a great just note to end on. Like be vulnerable, tell them you care. This is part of an inclusive culture. So let's, let's hold on to this. We're going to have Dr. Harvin back because there's so much more that we can be digging into. Just there's so much research that you have done that I think teachers are going to crave. And so where can they find you? Right. So thank you so much. So 
teachers can find me on, I'm pretty active on Instagram, <laughs> to be honest with you. And that's where I make announcements too about a lot of my programming. And I am going to have programming coming up on student motivation. So my Instagram is at Dr. Diva Harvin. Click on the show notes. You all have to check out Dr. Harvin. Her stuff is so good. I love getting on watching the lives. They're just really heartfelt. They're very authentic and they are scientifically backed. Like Dr. Harvin is actually doing the research. She is doing the work behind all of this. And so please check her out. And I think, yeah, this is part one of of a different part series because I'm craving knowing more. And the work that you're doing is so uplifting, so important. And it is that balance of what we need to be doing as educators to do a really good job, yet still sustaining this work, and what our students need developmentally. And I think you're bridging and marrying those things so well. So thank you for all that you're doing. And thank you for being a part of today's episode. Thank you so much. I really appreciate, you know, this opportunity to be on your platform and to talk about my journey and about students and teachers. People can also contact me via my email, so alithaharvin at gmail.com. And keep in mind for all the educators, if you do want to work with me, whether you are you are a school leader or you are a teacher, I am an educational consultant and coach, and I do a lot of work surrounding motivation, wellness, and diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So I'd love to work with you all. I'm taking on new clients. So that would be great. We will include all of that. We'll make sure that you have access to Dr. Harbin's uh, literature and books as well. Thank you so much for being on today. You are so inspiring. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Dr. Harbin. Here are the takeaways from this episode. Number one, think about your why. As educators, we have to step back and think about our why. Why are we even in this classroom? Why are we here? Why did we go into education? And then make sure all of your actions moving forward are in alignment with that. Number two, we must, must, must set up healthy boundaries. Number three, Goals are at the crux of all motivation. If we can get an alignment right with our purpose, our why, and develop goals associated with that, those goals then drive our behavior. Those goals drive our motivation. Number four, the more we can tap into students' interests and bring that into bear in our classroom, discussions, and activities, students become more intrinsically motivated. Number five, if you see students really working hard, Whether they are performing well or not, give them positive messages around their effort. Or if you're going to critique them in any way, focus on their effort. Number six, have high expectations for all of our students, no matter what. To have low expectations, we're only making things worse. Having low expectations is literally the worst thing we can do. We must see our students for who they are and what they can be and hold them to high expectations. And finally, number seven, remember to be vulnerable.